There's no less emphasis by God on His own presence with His people and with Jonah in particular and with the people of Nineveh in this chapter than in the first two chapters. So we'll continue to look at what does it mean for God to be near and for God to be in, for us to be in God's presence as we operate in our day-to-day life and make day-to-day choices like Jonah and others. Before we do that, I, I want to lift up some uh, um, requests, uh, some pastoral requests and some requests for this message also and, and honor Christ through prayer. Uh, but first of all, we need to continue to pray for our missionaries. And uh, I was particularly reminded this week to pray for um, David Sitton and, uh, and his ministry there in Papua New Guinea. Uh, as the gospel's going forward, he and uh, Rod Connor, who was with us last year in our service, just returned uh, a few weeks ago and are excited about what God is doing there in Papua New Guinea with the gospel, with the spread of the word, and uh, is continuing to go forward in their ministry there. And, and new places are hearing of the gospel for the first time. It's a really exciting thing for the gospel to go where the church is not established yet but is in the middle of being established and so we need to continue to pray for their work they're starting a training center for all of you in this congregation who feel called to uh, that type of mission to pioneer missions they're starting a a training center in south texas uh, for that very purpose to train people to go and be missionaries to unreached uh, countries particularly papua new guinea and mexico so if you're here and you're a pioneer and you say, I felt that call and never knew how to get trained to go, uh, talk with me. David is looking for those who want to be a part of a mission like that. And uh, so we seriously need to pray for him and in their ministry in this time. Also, pray for John Lachlan. The um, uh, report came. Wayne graciously brought a word today. John um, has had some problems during the night. He, he uh, lost consciousness a couple of times, went to the hospital Things have checked out okay, but he but he's in a lot of pain, and they're not sure what exactly is going on. If maybe it's a reaction to some things he's doing or something like that, so we just need to be in prayer for him pastorally, praying for his healing, restoration uh, with his family and with his job, and to us in worship. And I know there are many others. Justin uh, um, Justin Fields had uh, Justin Noah had some procedures done. Uh, this uh, this week on Thursday, and uh, Helen shared with me that he's had a lot of pain, had a stent put in, one removed, one put back in, and also be doing this about every three months now, I think. Um, so we need to be praying uh, for him as he recovers and then continues through this long process. There are many things on your hearts and your minds, I'm sure. We also need to pray uh, as we go to the Word that we would exalt Christ uh, in everything that we say and do today. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer for these things, the things that may be in your mind and heart, and then also for our time together in the Word. Let's join each other in, in, in prayer. Father God, we come to You realizing that it's only by our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can even approach You knowing that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from His veins. 
And every sinner plunged beneath that flood loses all their guilty saying. Lord, we thank You for that. That is a promise that we cling to more than we cling to physical life. Because without that promise of of salvation, of cleansing, of repentance in Him and Him alone, we would be lost, hopeless in this world. Lord, our minds and our hearts are drawn to You in this week. Uh, The church has traditionally celebrated this week in, in honor of You. As You spent Your last days on this earth teaching, training Your men, assuring them, that though they would be shaken, they would not fall. Lord, I'm reminded of the passage we heard read today in our service where you told your disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. I thank you that you fell to the ground dead and that by the power of the Father you were raised up and now you have brought the fruit of salvation to millions throughout generations. From Adam... Until the close of the age, men are being redeemed because you fell to the ground and were raised up to new life. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for the promise that if we will die, count our life as nothing and count only your service as worthy to be desired, that our lives can bear fruit. I thank you for a reminder in my own life of that this week as I witnessed the the testimony of 20 or 30 so, some odd people to the testimony of Justin and Nikki's life that if they would fall to the ground, you promised them that they would bear fruit and to sit and listen to the testimony after testimony of the truth of that verse, it just strengthened me, Lord. And I thank you for them. I pray that even now as they are on their honeymoon together that you would strengthen them, that you would, that you would bond them, that you would make them, as Pastor Reader said, that you would make them one, one plus one becoming one in the flesh and in spirit and in soul and in mind, God, that you would begin that process as I know you already have and that you would complete it in their lives. That they might be a testimony to us. That they might be a a witness to us of the power of our great God. Lord, you are powerful. You are magnificent. And you are God who completes and, and finishes everything you have said. We can trust you. We can't trust ourselves. We cannot trust chariots. We cannot trust nations. We cannot trust the power of prayer uh, in, in our own power to be prayer warriors. We can't trust in anything except that when we call to you, you are a great God who hears our prayer and answers according to your will. And so we say, Lord, let your will be done in these situations on earth as it is in heaven. Father, if we pray for John and Holly this morning as she ministers to him. For Murrin, God, that she would not be frightened as her father has gone through these physical problems in the middle of the night, I know, for a little child is so frightening. But God, help her, give her strength to trust you. And let her be an encouragement to her parents of childlike faith. And Father, that you would strengthen John. Let him know that though his body is being attacked, maybe from within, maybe from without, we don't know. But Lord, his spirit is made strong in you. And Father, I pray whether you heal him uh, immediately or if it's years down the road that you heal him or if you never heal him physically. God, I pray that you would give him joy in salvation and that he would know that you will fulfill the promise that you have made and that he will 
even as he passes from this life, enter into the realization of eternal life in a new and special way and that he would see you face to face. Father, I pray for our missionaries as they go forth with the gospel of peace. Lord, for Rod Connor and for David Sitton, for others that are in like ministry, going where we cannot go. They're going on our behalf. And so, Lord, we pray for them. We, 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 we long to see your gospel flourish in Papua New Guinea. Not just have seeds here and there, but that the island itself would be transformed from a dark and wicked place of, of voodoo and black magic to a place of gospel, life, power in your resurrection. And Lord, we turn in this time to you. We are believers in your name. We trust that though in this world we face tribulation, you have overcome the world. And so there is therefore now no condemnation for everyone who is in Christ. We're reminded that your prayer as you faced the cross was a request to glorify your name. To glorify not only your name, but the Father's name. We're reminded that eternal life is to know the one true God. And so, Lord, as we turn to Jonah, we pray that your name would be glorified. That we would know eternal life by knowing your name. That we would trust in you and in your name more than chariots more than our own power, more than our nation, more than our families, more than this church, more than anything. Let us trust in Your name. Salvation comes from the Lord. And it belongs to You, Lord. And so we receive it as a gift. And we praise Your name for it. And it is in Your holy name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. As we turn to the Scripture, it becomes very obvious. As we turn to Jonah or really any book, that God is concerned with His name. We see it early in the Testament. Early in Genesis. At the beginning of the Scripture, we see it. It's carried not only from Genesis, but on into Exodus. And we find in Exodus 32, Moses pleading with God, don't destroy this great nation. And what is the cause? Because the nations will say it is because you could not deliver them that you brought them to the desert to die. So for your name's sake, God, don't destroy this people. It was for His name's sake that He delivered Israel. Not for just for them, but for Himself. And then also, as we move on through the Testament, we see every, at every turn the conquering of the nations that were in the Palestine region. It was not just for Israel, but the nations feared Israel as they entered the promised land. Why? Because the fame of your great God has come before you. People sent emissaries to them to make peace before war, not because of who Israel was, not because they were a great army, but because of their God. We've heard that He brought you out of Egypt. We heard that He parted the Red Sea. We've heard that He destroyed the armies. We heard that He brought you through the wilderness, that He parted the Jordan, that He's given you safe passage to this point, that He's destroyed Jericho, that He's destroyed everyone who's opposed you. We want to make peace. 
unless we're destroyed. And so it was for the name of God that these things happened. And in the kingdom era, when David and Solomon were ruling, it was for God's name that David desired to build a temple. And it was for God's name that Solomon built the temple. His name is above every name. And His name is the challenge that we go for with the challenge to spread His fame, to spread His name. And I want to propose to you that that's the purpose of Jonah. Look at verse, verse 1 and 2 in chapter 1. Look back with me at those first verses. Arise and go to that great city, Nineveh, and tell them of the coming destruction. Jonah heard that and immediately said, I know what God's up to. He wants these wicked Assyrians to hear about Him, fear Him, and repent. And so I don't want to go. Now, it doesn't say that in chapter 1. It says that in chapter 4. But Jonah knew that when the name of the Lord arrived, when the presence of God became vivid to the people, repentance followed. He knew it. He trusted it. He knew it would happen. He knew his God. And he feared that this would be the cause of his ministry, that his very enemy would be converted and that they would believe and be rescued. And so what does he do? Well, he does what any... Red-blooded American does. He ran from the presence of God. Now, Jonah wasn't an American, but he acts a lot like us, doesn't he? Some of us have known God's call on our life to spread His name for years. But I think our fear has not been that when we share it, God would do nothing. But our fear has been that if we share it, God would do something. And that people that we don't want to be saved would be saved. And that those who are our enemies would be treated as our neighbor and they would then be turned to the God of gods and the King of kings and they would believe. We're a lot like Jonah. It's okay, God, if you save me and my family. Just not that guy. He deserves what he gets. Let him die in his sin. This is, this is our heart, isn't it? Many times. It's my heart. Many times. We often disguise it as a fear that God will fail. That the gospel will go forward and they'll reject it. That's not really the fear. Really, if we internally go deep down inside ourselves, the fear is not that no one will believe. The fear is who will believe. Maybe it won't be the guy I shared it with this time, but then maybe someone else will overhear our conversation and that's not somebody I really want to be saved. I don't like that guy. He's not like me. Or maybe some of you are battling with a different dilemma. Maybe more like Jonah in the sense that you know that God has commissioned you and called you to go to another country. To think world ministry and not just Calhoun County Ministry. And yet because of your different reasons, maybe your comfort, your safety, your wealth, your racism, 
You say, I would rather that culture stay dark and die than for me to put my life on the line. Jonah had fear of these Assyrians, the Ninevites. They were a ruthless people. They enjoyed killing. They had conquered a lot of the known world. They were raising themselves up to power. They were after Israel. And so he's thinking in his mind, not only are they in my enemy, but they're actively trying to oppress my people. If I show up by myself, what will they do? And Nineveh is no small city. It's not like he was called to Jacksonville. You know, 19,000 folks or something. According to the most conservative figures, at this time, Nineveh was 600,000 people big. We know there were 120,000 in that city that didn't know their right hand from their left hand. And those would be babies or young children. And so taking that, extrapolate out, some believe a million people lived in this ancient city. This was no small city. Its walls, circumference, four cities actually, we believe, took in four cities, all of them mentioned in Genesis 10, together. And its walls were wide enough, thick enough, that three chariots could pass on top of the walls. And it was a large city. And he would be the only Israelite among all these people who hated his very sight, his very language, his dress, his custom. And he's going to show up and say, 40 days and God's going to destroy you? He had fear. Not only hatred, but he had fear. All these things working against him, and so he decided, I think I'll leave. I'll flee to Joppa, and then, and then on farther to Tarshish, south of Spain. I'll go there. I'll leave the presence of God. And immediately, God's presence shows up in a storm. God hurled the storm on the sea. And we know and we've studied that they cast him into the sea. And last week we looked at his prayer. He prayed not only in the belly of the fish, but he prayed in the seaweed, in the chains of death, at the base of the mountains he cried out for salvation. And God saved him. And we talked explicitly about the fact that everyone in here needs to contemplate Do I need to repent for the first time? Have I never repented of my sin? Have I never answered the command of God to salvation? Maybe you have and now you've fallen into a life of ease and luxury. It's easier to live the American life. And so I'll take that over Christianity. easier and so is this maybe we said what we need to repent of and be obedient to God's call in our life at the end of the message we saw God's great salvation he prepared it for Jonah before the foundation of the world right this fish was created for Jonah for His rescue and for His salvation. Jonah couldn't save himself. Only God could save him. And then he's vomited there onto the dry land. Now we have no way of knowing how long he laid there. But after such a 
harrowing experience and such a grueling experience. I tend to think some time elapsed for him to kind of recover. And when he recovers, gains his strength. Wouldn't it seem nice of God to just let him have a little peace? He's been through a lot. Just let him relax, God. He needs a little vacation. Let him enjoy the sunset on the sea. Let him kick back with some friends there on the seashore. But verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. God didn't give him that break. God commissioned him again. God is merciful, number one, in giving his servant a second opportunity for obedience. This isn't God's disdain of Jonah. This is God's love for Jonah. His mercy that's being shown. Jonah doesn't deserve a second opportunity, yet God, who is a great God of mercy, gives him that opportunity. This book that we're studying is full. It's just full of parallels. So look at 3, 1 through 5, actually 1 through 3, and look at Jonah 1, 1 through 3, and let's read them together. In the first chapter it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against, the, and call out against it. The message I tell you. Do you see the parallel? God gave the same call again. This is an act of mercy. Not an act of disdain for the prophet, hatred for the prophet. This is love. God gave him a command. With my children, I often give commands. Do this. At our house, there are no warnings. We operate on the fact that that's been done. So when mama or daddy speaks, you obey immediately. If not, correction follows. And then often, the word of the father comes again to the little ears of his little child. That's mercy. It's merciful for a parent to do this. Not hatred, not disdain. No, I think it's rather hateful to have to endure a, fa- a family that gives a hundred chances. It's painful for them as parents. It's painful for that child. And let's be honest, it's painful for everybody else in the restaurant too. We often talk about that as if it's grace. That's not grace. That's not love. Love is clearly communicating what needs to happen. And when nothing happens, a loving discipline occurs and then the repeating, the offer of another opportunity for obedience. Sometimes that does it and sometimes it takes multiple repeatings. But when we do this for our children, we mirror the love of our God. 
When we discipline in this manner, we mirror the love of our God. He loved Jonah too much to let him continue in rebellion. So he brought him under discipline, correction. And then he didn't beat him down with it. He didn't keep harping on it. He didn't just keep yang-yang and nagging. He said a second time, get up and do as told. That's mercy. That's love. That's concern for Jonah. Our God is a merciful God and he gives his prophet that second opportunity. Not because he deserves it. Not because he's a good man. Not because he's earned it. But simply because God in his character loves to give his children this second opportunity. The message of impending judgment is given in verse 2 of chapter 1 and repeated again for us in verse 2 of chapter 3. You see the parallel. Same message in essence. Same thing told to him. And so Jonah in verse 3 of chapter 1 runs. Right? I'm going to get out of the presence of God. In chapter 3, verse 3 of the first part is, look what it says. In case you would question God as to his wisdom in this approach. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh and he preached the message. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah in verse 1. He rose up to speak that message in verse 3. God is showing mercy. He's recommissioning him with the same message again. And how many times have you experienced this? How many times have I experienced this? Many times. Many times. I told the young people today in the Sunday school class, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And I shared with them a very vivid instance where I was given an opportunity and didn't take it. And it was clear to me that I didn't do it. And it came with some real life consequences. I never got that exact opportunity ever again. And it was painful. And in the moment I questioned, does God love me? Have I failed to the point that he'll never use me again? Is he going to leave me in my desperation forever? And then I remembered to them out loud the instance that I remembered him coming back and giving me another opportunity to speak on his behalf. I did not understand during the discipline section so much that there would be another opportunity. I'm not sure Jonah knew he was going to get another opportunity. But our God is merciful. And he loves us. And he's a God of second opportunities. You may have failed God in the past. You may be sitting here as a 60-year-old or a 20-year-old. And you may be saying, I failed. And I'm not being used of God. Take cheer. Take comfort in the message of Jonah. Our God gives his children opportunities to serve him thank him for that mercy and continue to serve him god is merciful in giving a second opportunity for obedience god's message number two of impending judgment brings nineveh to repentance not only is he merciful to jonah he's merciful to the ninevites in chapter one verse two it sounds as if he's going to destroy them right 
Tell them that doom is impending. Their great sin has come up before me and now I'm going to destroy them. But then in chapter 3, we find far from destroying them, look what happens to these people. In the second part of of, uh, verse 3, in chapter 3, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Nineveh was a great city to God. That phrase there uh, was an exceedingly great city. In the Hebrew says, Nineveh was a great city to God. We get the picture sometimes of God loves us and He hates the pagans. And here's a pagan city worshiping Dagon, the god of fish. Interesting little twist, right? The Ninevites worshiped a so-called fish god, half man, half fish. What did God rescue Jonah with? A fish. He's vomited there on the beach and he walks to Nineveh or rides a donkey. I don't know how he got there, but he got there and he showed up and his message was 40 days and this city is destroyed because it's wicked. You're a great city to our God, but he will destroy you because you're evil. We're not told anything else that he said. But in Luke chapter 11, write that reference down. Luke chapter 11, Jesus Christ speaks of Jonah. And I want to read for you. You don't have to turn there. I want to read for you what he says about the people of Nineveh. And then I want to tell you what I think his message was when he got there. It may help us understand why we go through some of the disciplinary things we have to face in life. So that we can be obedient to the call. When the crowds were increasing, they began to, he began to say... In verse 29 of Luke 11. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Notice, the fish is not a sign. Jonah is a sign to the people. His message is not a sign. He is a sign. Okay? Jonah is the sign. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. You see that? You hear that? In the... People of Nineveh saw Jonah as a sign. Okay? So will the Son of Man be to this generation. Then skipping down in verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah has come. Interpretation. This is not canonized. But yet I believe it to be true. Jonah became a sign to the people. How did he become a sign to the people? Because he rebelled and then was swallowed by a fish and repented. And what did God do? He mercifully delivered him. He goes to Nineveh with a message of doom. 
And all Jesus says is He preached and they believed. What did He preach? Forty days and you will be destroyed. But let me tell you about my God. And I want to tell you how I know this about my God. You see, months back, He told me to come tell you this. And I wouldn't come. I hated you. I think you hate me. To be frank, I was afraid to come. So I got on a boat and I was headed to Tarshish. Y'all know where Tarshish is. It's over there as far away from you as I could get. That's where I was headed. And God sent a storm. And I was cast into the sea and I thought I was dying. And I sunk to the bottom and all I could say was, God, save me. Now I want to tell you about Yahweh. He had prepared a fish and it swallowed me. I was a rebellious, sinful person who deserved to be destroyed and God saved me because I repented. And now I'm here preaching this message to you because He told me to a second time. And I think the Ninevites said, repent. We've got to do what Jonah did. How do I know that? Look at the last verse in this paragraph, in the next paragraph. The king says in verse 9, now the people repented and they had sackcloth and ashes and they went into prayer, okay? But then the message went even to the king and to his ears and he gives out a decree. Let's look back in verse 7. He says, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out to mightily to God. When I was in the depths of Sheol, Jonah said, I cried out to you and you heard my cry. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, what is the king saying? We're in the depths of despair, hopeless. Nothing can save us. Our city will be destroyed. But let's repent. Sackcloth and ashes. Outward examples of repentance. I'm going to repent and y'all pray and fast and don't let your animals eat and you don't eat. Don't let your animals drink and you don't drink. And verse 9 says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. Why did Jonah have to go through what he went through in the discipline of God? I don't know all the reasons, but I think I know one, and that is so he could stand in front of the Ninevites and say, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. Now let me tell you about the mercy of my God. I did not repent, and I ran from God, and I ran as far as I could, and I was cast in the sea, and I almost drowned, and when I cried out, He saved me. And by his testimony, God's name was made great among the Ninevites and they immediately repented, put on sackcloth, sat in ashes, and prayed and fasted. And what did God do? Verse 10 says, When God saw the repentance of the Ninevites and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had planned for them. 
And he did not do it. What a beautiful testimony to the mercy of our great God. One of the reasons I believe Jonah went through his personal struggles was for the sake of those in Nineveh who needed a sign, a testimony. And so if they've had that sign and testimony, you know what Jesus said in Luke 11? You had Jonah. Not only did you have Jonah, but you've had me. And not only have you had me, but you've had all the apostles after me. Not only the apostles, but you've had the great martyrs of the church. And so he would say to this generation, I believe, the people of Nineveh will rise up against you if you do not repent because they only had the sign of Jonah and they repented. And you've had me and all the people who followed me and you won't repent. He's a merciful God. He didn't just send Jonah as a sign to us. He sent His own Son as a sign to us. He sent people after His Son, the twelve apostles, to be signs to us. He sent the martyrs in church history to be a sign to us. How great a witness and how much testimony do we need that our God loves those who repent and follow after Him? How much sign do you need? Would you dare say, God, give me one more? Would you dare say, God, I don't believe it yet. It's happened thousands of times, but I still don't believe. You'll have to do it again. Or will you today say, I have all the evidence and I have the call of God and I repent. I will not run. I will not hide. I will not try to save myself. I repent and I believe. Please save me. God, save me. The people of Nineveh had more than just Jonah even, though in the sign of Jonah contained, if they had to think this, if he wanted to destroy us, why did he send his prophet? And then why did he send his prophet and 40 days? If he wanted to wipe us out, this God could have killed us. He didn't ever have to tell us he was going to do it. So if he sent a messenger saying repent, and he gave us 40 days, To repent is His intention to destroy us or to save us. And I think the Ninevites said His his decision has been to save us. And in their repentance, they were saved. The entire city repented. There's never been a revival, a calling like this ever that's been recorded for us. Can you imagine 600,000 people immediately repent and believe and are saved? We, we get excited if one person comes down now, and we should. We think Billy Graham's done a great thing, and he had had 600,000 people saved in his ministry over 50 years. Jonah preached one message one time, and God called 600,000, or maybe a million. Now, there's a lot of things in this passage that we have not covered but I've tried to cover what I believe to be the theme, and that is that the presence of God brings repentance. And there are times in our lives when we will suffer discipline from God, not because He hates us, but because He loves us. And when He gives us that call again and we obey, our lives become testimony to His mercy. And He uses even our failures to save others. God doesn't waste a hurt God never wastes a hurt, a pain, a suffering. He never wastes them. 
we see that God's mercy is displayed toward a great city that repented and believed. We see it in the king. His repentance was complete inwardly and outwardly. How, in, how much dignity had to be given up by this king to take off his robes and put on sackcloth in front of a nation and sit in ashes? That didn't save him. What saved him was the inward heart of repentance towards God. The outward expression of repentance came because of the inward change that God had worked. No king, no self-respecting man, much less a king, would get off his throne, take off his outer garment, and weep this way, and cry out to something greater than him. Remember, the Orient has long believed their kings were gods. He's given up a lot. He repented, and he believed, and God saved him. And his only hope, he voices his only hope in verse 9. It's that he might be merciful. God might choose to be merciful and save us. God brought judgment on our discipline on Jonah. And out of that discipline, some sailors from Phoenicia were saved. And out of that discipline, 600,000 souls entered the kingdom in one day. And so I say to God, if discipline is what it takes for you to use me with fear and trembling, God, discipline me. Isn't that what David read in John chapter 12? Jesus said, lest a seed fall to the ground, it cannot bear much fruit. If you love your life and your reputation more than eternal life, You'll never pray, God, discipline me so others might be saved. Make me a picture of both your wrath and your mercy so others might believe. Only dead grains pray for that kind of fruit. And to be honest with you, I haven't prayed that prayer yet. Not as I should, but I want to. I know many of you want to, and so we must call out to God. The psalmist says, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And so you may have come to this place, a child of God in need of submission again, of humbling Discipline has been in your life and your response has been, why me? That's what I do a lot of times. And so I pray today you will leave with not why me, but God, if it takes more, do more. Because those souls are worth the discipline of my soul. Paul had this attitude. He said, I am yet filling up the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the church. He wasn't just suffering. He was suffering in the name of Christ. And therefore, his sufferings were filling up the elect from every church that he ministered to. They looked at him and said, we have a great God who can sustain a man through all of that. I want to repent. I want to believe. And so God used that. Some of you have been running from discipline for years. And what I would call you to, and I think Jonah's calling us to is, 
Stop running from discipline and submit to it. And repent of your own sins that God might use you in His kingdom. And if you're not saved, I beg you to understand the steadfast love of our God. He had every right to kill Jonah before he ever got on the boat in rebellion. He had every right to kill him on the boat. He had every right to kill him at the bottom of the sea. He had every right to kill him in the fish. He could have sent a fish to eat him as well as he did to swallow him and save him. Our God could have killed Jonah at any step in the process. Instead, he was merciful. He could have destroyed Nineveh. Next week, we're going to look at the mercy of God. Full picture of the mercy of God in chapter 4. But you don't have to wait till next week. You know our God is merciful. You know it is only by His mercy you're alive today. And so your response, I beg you to make the response of your heart be, Oh God, I'm a sinner. And I repent. Save me. God, save me. And He is faithful. And He will do it for His own name. Consider it in your heart as we pray. Let's pray together. Father, Your Word is very much a living truth.